So Reed, there are a number of health awareness months, weeks, or even days that are very important for us to remember in healthcare. Did you know that January is National Radon Action Month? Well, in February, the week of Valentine's, uh, is Condom Week. In March, there's Trisomy Awareness Month. I didn't even know Trisomy existed. I'm glad that they have a whole month dedicated to them. So uh, in April, for the entire month, is Sports Eye Safety Awareness. Luckily, in May, it's Older Americans Month. In June, Hernia Awareness Month. If you're not aware that you have the hernia... In July, it's Cord Blood Awareness Month. August is Contact Lens Health Week. September, we have a number of good months here. We got Fruit and Veggies Matter More Month. Oh, boy. We also have Whole Grains Month. And not coincidentally, it's also Sepsis Awareness Month. So in in October, you do have World Psoriasis Day. World Psoriasis Day. So we've all gotten on the same page as the entire world. In uh, November, National Family Health History Day. Well, in December, December 4th through the 10th, is National Hand Washing Awareness Week. Where is that? I didn't notice the We Dip Our Childs in Perel Day. I think that's the third week of August, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have a ton of fun along the way. I'm joined, as always, by Chris Boyer. Uh, on the other side of the microphone, you can find him at ChristopherBoyer.com, at Chris Boyer on the majority of the social platforms out there. Uh, if you can't find him, you're not looking hard enough. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it's pretty easy. Uh, connect with him. He's got a lot of great things to say on his blog and different places about uh, what he's doing uh, with hospitals and health systems around the country as far as digital marketing and advertising and all that kind of fun stuff. So. Uh, Chris, here we are another week. Hey there, Reed. On that side of the microphone is Reed Smith. Reed is a social media expert, enthusiast, and um, fun guy to follow online. Very interesting gentleman. He also can be found through all of the social platforms as well. And as he says about me, I say about him too, if you can't find him, you're not looking good, looking hard enough. Reed Smith is his handle on Twitter and on Snapchat and Instagram and all that. He has a great website out there on uh, socialhealthinstitute.com. Reed, welcome to the podcast. This episode of Touchpoint is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Transparently. Transparently is the nation's fastest growing platform for gathering and publishing physician star ratings and reviews. You can visit Transparently.com to learn why the country's most innovative health systems are choosing them to power a better digital patient experience. Again, to learn more, visit them online at Transparently.com. Here we are, episode 31. 31? We've uh, officially made it to... Well, actually, I don't guess we've... When is fall? When's the first day of fall? It's coming up. I mean, this is the day after Labor Day. We're recording it, actually, the day after Labor Day. 
Yeah, day after Labor Day. It feels like fall to me. It doesn't actually it doesn't feel like fall. It's still very hot here. But um I guess since like kids are back in school, it makes in football has started, it makes it feel like we're in the fall even though we're not. But anyway, mm-hmm. point being is we've uh, now made it 31 episodes in. Yeah, I, I know. That's really great. And we have a good good topic today that we're going to talk about. Uh, there's a great interview a little bit later on. I'm excited about the person you got to interview Reed. Yes, yes. So uh, online advocacy. And so that means different things to different people. And we'll hear from uh, Doug Ullman later in the podcast, as Chris mentioned, former CEO and president of the Live Strong Foundation and is up at an organization in Ohio uh, called Pelotonia. Anyway, really interesting guy. I encourage you to look him up online. And uh, he's got some uh, neat things to say a little later on. Well, let's talk a little bit about online advocacy, Reed, because I think that this is a topic that's a little broad. And today is one of those podcast episodes where we're going to hit the topic pretty broadly and that sets us up for us to dig into some deeper you know unique pieces of that a little bit later in other podcasts to come advocacy itself let's start with that let's just kind of define advocacy at a very high level you know wikipedia defines advocacy as any kind of activity that an individual or a group does to that aims to influence decisions that are political economic social and that can include activities, you know, like um, doing media campaigns, public speaking, creating online communities to move towards a, a certain type of activity or action, even publishing research, you know, that sort of thing. And to me, a lot of this is just uh, we've talked a lot about word of mouth uh, marketing. That's really what this is with the end goal being, you know, alignment with that uh, point of view or activity. You know, take Doug, for example. They, they, you know, the organizations he's with, uh, you know, they raise a lot of money for cancer research. And so that's the end goal is to raise money. Uh, a lot of times that's through uh, a large bike ride that they do, for example. Some people, this may mean, you know, more of an internal focus, you know, especially in hospitals. You know, how do you, you know, advocate and align your employees to your message uh, or the message that you would like, you know, uh, disseminated out to their networks. And so uh, sometimes that's more of an internal communication strategy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in healthcare, there's a lot of different types of advocacies that could be developed. And and so l- let's just briefly like kind of touch base on a couple of those. Some of the ones that spring sure. to mind right away, right, are those that maybe advocate advocacy efforts around a particular disease or condition. You think of big things like breast cancers um, or mm-hmm. like maybe ALS or the American Diabetes yep. Association. Like yep. these are these are advocacy efforts around a particular disease, condition, a particular kind of healthcare problem that might potentially be happening. We uh, refer to those in many cases as like a health observance, you know, and a lot of times they're they're monthly, heart month. Uh, yeah, you mentioned breast cancer. Uh, there's one just about every month or every week. Even again, back to that internal focus, you look at uh, uh, Nurses Week or Hospital Month, you know, some of those mm-hmm. types of things. Doctor's Day, for example. Yeah. You know, another one could be around um, uh, the support of, you know, expansion or building or, uh, you know, or, or a study, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one about like, you know, you, you think a lot of times around like cancer institutions, children's hospitals, things like that, where you're advocating and maybe even it requires some legislative oversight if it's a certificate of need state, you know, and that type thing, but trying to build 
momentum around the need for uh, particular services in a geographic region. Yeah, and a lot of hospital foundations kind of take that focus when you look at that. They, they spend a lot of time uh, you know, developing giving programs or, or developing initiatives to support some of these advocacy efforts. In general, too, they also, one of the, the greatest things that hospital foundations do, they spend time uh, for nonprofit hospitals, just basically growing the giving and the and the revenue and the contributions to the organization to ensure that they're maintaining that nonprofit status. And some of these foundations are even, you know, fund giving organizations versus fund raising organizations. Mm-hmm. So I know several several foundations that are connected to hospitals that uh, you actually cannot give them any money. Uh, they simply take a, a portion of the proceeds of the hospital and give it away. And so a lot of that is scholarships. A lot of it is uh, funding different you know, health-related missions like nursing schools and things like that. Uh, also providing money to other local nonprofits that have a healthcare focus. And so, you know, a lot of what they're doing from an advocacy standpoint is not so much, hey, give us money, but it's explaining, you know, where the funds of these organizations are going. So it's annual reports trying to get people involved and aligned with, again, the message in this case, not so much uh, the money. And, you know, that aligns a lot uh, very closely with the, the concept, this formalized concept of health advocacy. You know, health advocacy is really uh, encompassing direct service to individuals or families, as well as activities that promote health or access to health care in communities and the larger public. So if you think about uh, community-focused health advocacy programs, that sort of thing, that's a disciplined approach towards some of the care that hospitals and health systems provide in the, in the marketplace. And that kind of falls, ladders up under this larger advocacy umbrella. Uh, and some of that, you know, uh, is patient you know, centered care and access to services. And it does take it to a level of maybe a state or federal level mm-hmm. of, you know, actually have people in government relation roles within hospitals. Uh, so certainly the state level associations yeah. uh, where they're, we're talking to, um, you know, these legislative folks and, you know, lobbying them, you know, on why laws need to be changed or put in place to serve uh, the health needs uh, of that geographic area, hospital district, or, or even the state. So the, the sense of advocacy is very broad as, as we're defining it here. We're going we're gonna to talk about sort of the intersection of digital and how digital can be used to help with this advocacy efforts. When you think about that, you know, it's driven by uh, advocating for a particular type of cause or effort or awareness of a particular, you know, health condition, etc. Digital really does have a nice fit in this overall landscape. If you boil this all down, we're just talking about communications. Mm-hmm. Now, you're competing, obviously, with all the other communications people get. Uh, emails, ads, you know, pop-ups on websites, uh, TV commercials, etc. So your message is having to compete with everybody else's. But when we really just you know simplify this, it's it's about communicating, and therefore you know much like we've talked about in every episode, I guess it's the whole point of us doing this podcast mm-hmm. is that um, you know the internet and digital tools you know provide a way forward. Uh, that make it more efficient, if nothing else, uh, and more precise, more personalized, things like that. And more measurable. That's that's another aspect mm-hmm. that digital can do. Yeah. So now you can actually use these tools to actually understand what audiences you're communicating to and how do you connect with them and yeah. how they're responding to those communications. Yeah. It, it, you know, and in effect, too, it also is, becomes more efficient and affordable 
You know, when you would think about it, Doug mentioned in his interview later on today about the early days of advocacy, it was around stuffing envelopes. And, and I think what's interesting about that is whether it's stuffing envelopes or direct mail or even TV commercials, billboards, radio spots, anything that you would consider traditional in nature, even websites early on, or maybe even websites today in some cases, but it's a one-way communication. There's no community to it. You're not getting any feedback. The internet, and more particularly how social media has become a big part of the internet, has given rise to this concept of now we can start to coalesce, engage, activate, and mobilize these communities online towards a particular type of cause. All right, so... We're talking about communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about two-way communication, more specifically, or community building mm-hmm. um, that's really going to drive advocacy. Mm-hmm. What do those tools look like? You know, we talk about digital and social, mm-hmm. but specifically, what do you use to, to get this done? I think the big thing about advocacy, the first thing that we probably want to talk about is something that we've talked about before as well, um, content marketing. You know, developing a really good messaging platform, a really good positioning around your cause, the way you frame the cause to make sure it's relevant. That, that content is relevant to those audiences you're trying to mobilize. So the whole role of content marketing and online advocacy, I think, becomes first and foremost one of the biggest tools to consider because now you got a lot of different ways you could tell your message. So to build on that, websites that, that may be somewhat obvious at this point because you know, short of a few, I guess everybody has one. But with the content marketing piece. That does then allow you to tell you know a, a full story, kind of provides that home base. Um, obviously, if, if you're a fundraising organization, it gives you a place uh, to direct people. Not that you can't do that through some apps and things like that, but again, you want to build your own brand, your own story, and bring people back to kind of that hub. And in that hub, you can you can do a lot of different activity. Like you can you can put up donation forms. You can uh, put on tools where they can actually spread the word. I've been to a lot of advocacy sites where you get there and it says you know click this button to share with all your friends and family on social media that sort of thing. That website becomes that 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 home base. Um, related really closely to that read is uh, email communication. Email communication is probably one of the earliest digital tools that were used for online advocacy purposes because it gives you the ability to communicate to people and actually to push information to an interested group of people. Yeah, then I've never really thought about it, but I guess email is kind of that bridge mm-hmm. <laughs> between what we used to do and what we now do, right? And so, again, going back to the stuffing envelopes or, you know, even direct mail or being present at events. Mm-hmm. Uh, Email is that one that kind of bridges the old to the new, I, I guess, and, and maybe even kind of making a resurgence or coming back around, which we've talked a little bit about. But it does allow you to push out communication a little more in real time. You don't have to wait for it to hit their mailbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're trying to, you know, activate a community, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, email is a good idea, uh, especially when you're talking about like government relations. You know, hey, here's a way to connect with your state representative, for example, and you know, here's the message. You know, making it easy for them to do that, and then it does allow you know, much like a website, everything's very trackable uh, with click-throughs, and uh, you know, you kind of have some metrics on the back end. So even something you know, simple, you know, in some of those email systems uh, that we all know. You know, allow it very easy to do that. 
That's right. And and email has evolved now, and email's a com- critical component of marketing automation. And marketing automation has some interesting applications within the advocacy space, because now you could begin to track the preferences of those people that are part of your recipi- recipient list. What you could do is you could see how people are responding to your emails, the frequency. You start to learn their preferences by what they click on, and then start to build rules and, and actions around how you can more effectively communicate with people. So let's say, for example, someone gets an email, but they only open it once a week, you could start to shift their communication from daily to weekly, for example, or you know, or they like particular types of actions. You could start shaping the content of your communication to them. Yeah, based on who they are. So you've got somebody that's done the big bike ride the year before, and they've given money before. You want to know that and want to send them appropriate messaging based on the fact that they're currently involved versus someone that has shown a little bit of interest but has not given any money, for example. That leads obviously into a CRM or more of that centralized database, in this case, probably a donor database. It allows organizations to track obvious you know, donor activity at individual levels, you know, capture all those engagements, and then allows you to use marketing automation on top of that CRM database so you are you know, pushing out those appropriate messages at the appropriate time. CRM and marketing automation have, have been around in hospital space earlier on than most marketing organizations have done from an advocacy perspective. Uh, we can mention a couple of, you know, the, one of the most popular platforms when you hear about like Razor's Edge and BlackBot, those are early form versions of CRM and marketing automation. And the sophistication of how donor activation occurs through those channels is something that marketing teams are now using more frequently when they use CRM and marketing automation. Now, one of the things that, you know, is probably more obvious in because it's what you see, you know, it's the result of a lot of these things is social media. You know, these are great platforms because again, what we're talking about here is trying to build community and, and build a message and a movement around an idea. Uh, and so social is great for that. You know, obviously Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those uh, have different use cases. Uh, some of them are more visual than others. Uh, some of them have different demographics relative to who's using them mm-hmm. uh, and who you can communicate with. But you know, those those are great. Uh, allows you know people you know, to share and and you know I guess that ripple effect around your content because people are already there. You know, much like they would be for anything else that we've talked about. I think social media is kind of a game changer when you think about this. It it really has completely changed the way online advocacy works. Another tool that's related to that is uh, the mobile or text messaging. We see this in many different applications, but think of text messaging as another way to get out to people a little bit more informally than an email, but you can now start to mobilize an audience through text messaging. You could start to generate funds or donations through text. And I've even seen uh, mobile and text messaging applications being used at gala events, at, at you know different types of events that are, are designed where you can do online bidding, you can do electronic bidding right. a variety of different things like that and you see a lot of things I, you know I've seen this uh, of course unfortunately after like natural disasters and things like that you know you can text this code to this organization you know and it, you automatically give ten dollars and you know those types of things whether it's the Red Cross or whatever it may be mm-hmm. and so you, you do people are becoming used to doing that they want to do that you know there's apps out there now where 
you can, you know, pass your friend $10, you know, when you all go out to eat and split the check kind of a deal. So people are used to that, that kind of a, a method. And so if you've got a, if you've got a donor base and you're trying to reach maybe some younger donors, especially, you know, having those pieces or those pipes in place uh, is really helpful. You know, digital advertising, there, there is a place for that. You probably don't see it quite as much. Um, digital advertising more in the sense that if you have, especially if it's event-based. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to, you know, our guest, Doug, for example, uh, from his time at Livestrong and even uh, Pelotonia, uh, where there are events. You know, Livestrong has challenges, for example, that are bike rides and things like that. Pelotonia has a big uh, annual bike ride those are event driven and so you know advertising for those you know makes sense sign up you know raise money you know those types of things you know really helps with uh, that initial kind of engagement that then goes back to using social and some of these others mm-hmm. uh, to then you know cultivate that but this kind of draws people in initially yeah digital is a great way to activate audiences that are not necessarily engaged right so digital advertising that is you want to use digital advertising to get at those people that are maybe not familiar with your advocacy platform bring them to a place where they can get get a broader sense of the message and then start to mobilize themselves or get involved and get engaged I think that's a big piece of this and then you know naturally read some other tools that you know come along with this are everything else that you do in order to actually do that activation so it's like the online fundraising applications the event applications sign up applications there's you know applications where you can spread the word as we talked about right all of those other tools that kind of facilitate activity or action whatever that action may be that's like a broad spectrum of tools that organizations can use when they're engaging in online advocacy and I'm sure there's many others. And like we said, I think you mentioned Blackboard, for example. There's organizations out there that you know create these tools specific for uh, these type of pieces. But you know, in a broad stroke, uh, those are great, uh, great ones to get started with. See what you have, don't have, try out new things, etc. Okay, before we get into, I know we've got a few, um, you know, tips and maybe even some concerns, you know, relative to, you know, using digital in this space. Uh, You know, I I do think it's important and we've got a neat kind of document for those that really want to dig in and go deeper on this. Uh, It's the Global Journal of Community psychology practice and this is promoting community practice for social benefit so this this gets pretty nerdy but talking about uh, using social media as a tool to complement advocacy efforts mm-hmm. there's a lot of things in here but there is one little flow chart which I thought was uh, was pretty cool um, and it just talks about if you have you know it shows the little blocks but you know a quality social media presence will then you know, make its way to, you know, a certain level of critical awareness. So if you're, if you're uh, using social in the right way and targeting the right people, et cetera, you're going to create awareness through awareness. Then you have the opportunity to build relationships. Uh, Relationships then lead to some form of action. And then a policy priorities shift is what they're calling at that point. But the idea that social could take you all the way through action, basically. Yeah, it's a really good article. We'll link to it in our show notes. It talks about the psychology of social media. It's definitely worth a read. We'll link to it on our Twitter account, too, so you guys can take a look at that and dig deep. 
Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Why don't we go into and talk about some of the things, the tips, maybe even concerns that we have about using digital for advocacy that we found from our experience? Sure. So social media, I think at its core forces a certain level of transparency. I mean, I guess you can say whatever you want, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, because it's a two-way conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to drive towards a level of uh, truth or transparency in a lot of cases. Yeah. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, you want to have that, that because it really allows you to be more honest and genuine with your advocacy platform that you're on and allows for that Mm -hmm. kind of open communication with those audiences and be able to communicate with them in in a way that's that's that resonates with them however just like anything that's that's you know that powerful great good comes great responsibility and sometimes the community that you start to advocate or start to align with can potentially be offset because now suddenly your message is out there for everyone to participate in that conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we see this all the time with like airlines and this, that, and the other about people, you know, telling about their experience. And so you can only imagine what that looks like uh, around an organization that is, you know, trying to benefit others and things like that. So, you know, it, it could be it could be controversial around the particular medical condition that you're advocating for. For example, vaccination awareness is a great one. Here in Minnesota, right. there was a big push that that was done to uh, drive vaccination awareness to particular types of communities um, because they were adverse to that. Uh, to doing vaccinations. And what happened is, is that community kind of, because it was out there on social media, that message got hijacked by some anti-vaccination people. And that caused more uh, need for more advocacy. And, you know, so, so I think that there's sort of a two-way street when you when it comes to this transparency thing. Yeah. And and even, you know, just the things you say. So, uh, and the easy one with a lot of these organizations is, is, you know, where does the money go? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, based on what you say on your website, that X percent of every dollar is spent, you know, just all those types of things, you know, it ends up allowing for uh, the other side to say otherwise. So uh, the second one, digital advocacy allows greater access to all types of contributors. Mm-hmm. It lends itself to grassroots activity, you know, where people can share 
and, you know, speak their mind and, you know, kind of similar to the first one, but allows, you know, everybody to be involved in that message. Yeah, but there's a whole other side to this, too. And we know this from a from a donor perspective. You hear about the grassroots, but what about the grass tops? Those people at the high end, the high end donors, those are people that are more focused on and they're maybe large philanthropic uh, individuals. Maybe they have high profiles in the, in the community. Uh, they can even be celebrities. And, and some of those people can be notoriously difficult to mobilize around your particular advocacy efforts. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of organizations, hospitals and health systems, when they go into sponsorships with sports figures, sports teams, that sort of thing, they get involved with advocacy around particular efforts. But, you know, some of the people that are maybe the, the affluent Silicon Valley investors, that sort of thing, they may not want to have such a high profile. And so digital is not really a good way to reach them. Um, and they may even be right. averse to that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cases where you've got, you know, I don't want to stereotype, but the little old lady that has all this money and she wants somebody to come visit with her. But she doesn't want people knowing that she has given you know money. In much of it's just from a humble standpoint. You know, it's like, listen, my husband and I have always done this, and we want to continue to do it. We don't want any notoriety or you know that type of thing for it. So. So you do. You, you have some of those folks that you know want to participate in a different way. I think the takeaway here is that you have to develop digital, different digital communication plans for those different types of audiences, which kind of leads to the next you know big tip or big idea here, which is developing those personas and being able to target to those audience personas, being very critical for advocacy efforts, right? You're still trying to reach certain people just like you would in an advertising or, or traditional marketing or service line marketing standpoint. So you still walk through that same exercise of who am I trying to reach? Where are they? You know, what type of message resonates? Um, you know, is there geographic constraints? Is there you know, other demographic constraints, you know, et cetera? And, you know, again, tools like CRM and, and marketing automation are great tools that you can start to develop and learn those preferences, start to build those persona types, be able to really understand that, and then be able to then consequently measure and improve your communication efforts as well over time. And that really leads to building that personalized communication um, with those individuals that are part of your advocacy effort. Uh, the other thing to read is everything's becoming more and more <clears throat> real time. Now there's sort of an expectation around sort of a quickness with advocacy, which is a whole new challenge to those that are have been doing advocacy for a number of years. You've got really two things here in my mind. One is uh, the unexpected. So you look at what's happened here in Texas, specifically Houston and kind of the Gulf Coast portions of Texas with the hurricane, you know. And so there's lots of advocacy-based needs there. And, you know, a lot of it is giving money to help with recovery efforts and things like that. And so how do you activate people uh, when you need them based on need? Uh, and then the other the other piece of that is... You know, with different personas and things like that, you know, again, we're competing with a lot of different messaging and uh, we have different times of the year that we need people to be active. You know, you're competing with more and more stuff. And so how do you do that? It's so competitive and, and there's new things. And if you, you know, if you're very active in advocacy, 
there's always a new cause or a new effort that that will come in and take precedence, you know, and and the turn cycle of of advocacy efforts are becoming shorter and shorter in terms of our attention spans. And that's a that's a bit of a challenge, you know. Um, all last week, I remember hearing things about, you know, Harvey assistance, Harvey relief through every multiple channels that are out there online, offline, etc. And now that Labor Day weekend's over, we're not hearing a lot of that. That too, in and of itself says that the, t- the turn of attention becomes very, very quick in this space. You, know, you even have conflicting messages. And so like I saw several messages last week, not to get us off on another tangent, but I saw several messages last week of, of people that said, do not, don't give on social media, like through Facebook and stuff like that, because the processing time uh, takes so long. Mm-hmm. You know, give on the nonprofit's website directly. Mm-hmm. Well, I, honestly, I don't know if that's real or not. Like, I don't know what the processing time of giving through Facebook is or any other social channels. So I'm not trying to make that case. I'm just saying there's conflicting messages out there. How do you cut through that and get people to take the course of action that you want and need them to take is, is tough. Well, you know, much like other types of communication efforts that you do, I think the challenge is always not only getting their awareness and getting them to engage with that particular message or that audience, but it's then keeping that momentum, keeping them engaged for over a longer period of time. In particular in healthcare, advocacy efforts can last long time, lifetime even, uh, particularly for those that are maybe suffering from a, you know, a, a medical condition like myself, right? I am a lifelong advocate for diabetes because I am a diabetic. Trying to keep that attention, particularly when you're on the other end of the stick where you're trying to actually build that attention, it becomes very challenging. And that leads to, you know, integrating with other communication efforts. Uh, you said this earlier in the podcast, Reed, like it's, it's, there's almost like an internal competition sometimes at organizations. So, I mean, you've got a lot of other things going on. So, how, you know, how does this again not compete? You know, has this part of or complementary to everything that you're doing? Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember sending out email campaigns that are, uh, you know, tied into marketing automation, and I would have foundation and marketing in the same room because they're talking to the same people. And, you know, having that conversation and they're saying, well, we want to communicate to our donors a little differently than we communicate to everybody else. And while I do get that and I understand that, you know, quite frankly, sometimes it's the same audience. And do you want to give them two different messages? Do you want to give them two different communications? Are you now over inundating them with communications? And are you missing opportunities, right? And that kind of falls into then the whole concept around marketing engages a lot in healthcare around cause-based marketing. So trying to promote awareness for services around Breast Cancer Month, for example, which is coming up. Marketing is out there creating some interest and driving people to services, mammograms, a variety of different other screening services around breast cancer. And yet you also may be trying to you know, draw some fundraising efforts or some awareness around that. So how do you tie all that together? And so you mentioned breast cancer. One of the other tips here is look for ways to tie local activities with national trends. That seems logical and easy to do. You think about uh, breast cancer is the easy one or maybe heart month or something like that. People are already used to hearing it. So you just put your message out there, but it's got, it's got the potential to get lost. And you, you have competing messages between what people see on television or the radio or whatever and what you're trying to push out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you, you know, make sure that you, you know, align that uh, a little cleaner? Much like marketing, much like communications and PR, much like every other kind of communications effort, online advocacy 
adheres to the same fundamental principles. It's understanding your audience. It's understanding what your audience needs are and how to communicate better with them. And frankly, if we all within a hospital system, if we all just start working together, marketing and foundation and PR, and start to communicate in a consistent, almost personalized way to each individual, I believe that's going to really turn, turn advocacy efforts into something that's ingrained in everything that you do. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! Okay, this is our touch point, touch counterpoint section now. And since we've been talking about online advocacy, we thought we're going to drill into a pretty controversial positioning on advocacy communication. And that is when you're engaging in communication that's more advocacy focused, you're focusing on developing a relationship with those audiences, a relationship that gets them to engage and be advocates for that particular cause which is significantly different than marketing, where marketing is more transactionally based. And so really what, what I think we should argue today, Reed, is the differences between advocacy communication and marketing communication. So I would say there's a pretty big chasm between advocacy and, and marketing relative to our communication efforts. So to your point, to that statement, advocacy is more based on relationships uh, marketing is very much uh, more of a transaction, uh, less less feeling involved. Well, I guess I can understand your point if you're talking about selling things on Amazon or you know buying widgets. When you're talking about your health, though, and doing healthcare marketing in in particular, then that is actually about something that's very much more personal, much more intimate. It could be yourself or it could be your loved ones, medical condition, medical treatment, trying to find a particular type of you know care. And quite frankly, as a hospital or health system, I think you need to build that relationship. And so therefore, de facto, healthcare marketing has to be as relationship-based as advocacy communication. Mm, no, not as. I mean, not that there wouldn't be you know, some level of relationship there, but so much of the service line marketing in some cases may even be relationships, but they're relationships with referring physicians. Like we're not even talking to the patient, you know, it's just, let's get this, you know, it's a smoother transaction for the physician and that's what we're selling. Well, I think you're falling into the, the trap of thinking that 
hospital marketing is more focused on a single transaction. You're just coming in for a knee replacement or you need to go see your primary care doctor because you have to get your physical for that year. Healthcare is a relationship. It's a relationship with an individual and themselves. And us as healthcare professionals, marketers, we have to focus on building that relationship and advocating for that individual patient in the community to start having that relationship with their own health. So in effect, what we're doing is through hospital marketing is we're actually advocating for the health of the individual patients in our community. That's like uber advocacy. I mean, I guess, but that's a long road to get there for most folks. You know, it's, it's, you know, just like everything else, we're, we're moving to a place of convenience. And so if, uh, if I'm making it easy for you to fill the form out or call the phone number to get something done, that's the relationship. You know, it's, it's convenience versus the advocacy communication is a staged over time. Am I going to give money, for example, probably not the first time out, unless it's a small gift or something like that. But if it's if it's really what we're trying to develop relationships so people know where their money's going and feel comfortable about that, that's that's not what we're doing in, in hospital service line marketing. Look, I, I you've argued this before, and I'm not a big fan of the concept of this what I call seven eleven marketing, where you know it's just a convenience based approach to getting your care, right? I need to go in and get my Slurpee, I need to go in and get my you know bone density test done. It doesn't work that way. What we're doing in healthcare is we're actually building an ongoing relationship. Uh, someone I worked for a long time ago once said to me, It's like, you know, we, we have products and we have services within hospitals, but overall, overarching, what we're trying to do is build trust with our community that they can come to our facilities, to our to our institutions uh, over a period of time for whatever their care needs are, and we're going to serve them as serve them well. So I don't know. I'm all about healthcare marketing being about building that relationship. All right. So, so yeah, I guess at some point it's in the middle, uh, just like it always is. <laughs> So some of it is very transactional in the sense that I'm looking for the most convenient solution. Sure. And, and some of that's episodic. So it's ER marketing, for example, you know, or urgent care or whatever. You know, what's closest to your house? Like literally, I probably know what's wrong, like, but somebody's going to have to write a script, you know, kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. So where can I go that's the closest? Mm-hmm. Some of that is a little more, you know, you're having valve replacement surgery. That's a little different probably. Uh, maybe even knee or joint, you know, joint replacement of some sort or bariatrics or whatever. You know, sleep lab, maybe that's a little more transactional. Look, I just got to get this study done. What's the most convenient which one has the nicest rooms, you know, that, right. that kind of a deal. I don't really care who's administering the test. Like I, I'm never going to see them or see them again. The results are just going back to my doctor. So you could probably, it really probably depends on what you're specifically talking about in a lot of cases. You know, and I would, I would argue that also on an advocacy perspective, whether it's you're doing fundraising or you're trying to promote awareness for the cause, there's a certain level of ease, convenience and transaction that occurs. And it has a role in that as well. That's why you have things like text message donations. That's why you have the ability to, you know, share this video, uh, you know, 
to strong arm selfie or whatever it might be, right? I mean, to make it easy to engage. Um, I think that these things are much more convenient in nature and are designed to be much more transactional in nature. Whereas ultimately, you're when you, you want to grow and build that relationship, and over time, that relationship becomes more of a high-end donor or a high-end advocate or, you know, uh, for your for your cause. So I think that the, the principles still apply. I mean, face it, we're using the same tools, we're doing the same things. I think it's time, as I said before, for us to kind of lock arms together and say, we're doing the same thing. Why don't we try to figure out how we can merge all this together? All right, we're here joined by Doug Ullman. And for those that don't know, uh, Doug is the CEO and president currently of Pelotonia, an organization up in uh, Columbus, Ohio, which I'll let him talk a little bit more about. He and I met when he was here in the Austin area as the president and CEO of the Live Strong Foundation. Thanks for jumping on for a few minutes today. Thanks for having me. Great to connect. Most people have probably heard of Live Strong, at least in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and you spent, oh gosh, quite a few, about a decade or so there, or a little, yeah, little more than that. 14 years, yeah. 14 years, yeah. So in a number of different roles, but as the president and CEO there for some years. You're now in, in Columbus. Uh, tell everybody just a little bit, if they want to you know, look you up online or, or find out what you guys are doing, uh, tell everybody a little bit about, about the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Pelotonia was uh, started nine years ago as a uh, an event, an experience uh, to generate money for cancer research. And the community here in Columbus and Central Ohio has gone above and beyond uh, in their efforts. And so, during the course of the first nine years, we've raised uh, just under 150 million, and we'll cross that that wow. mark here in the next couple of weeks. Um, and our model is such that due to the generous support of our funding partners, 100% of every dollar we raise goes directly uh, to cancer research at the James Cancer Hospital at Ohio State. And so um, the breakthroughs, the new therapies, the young scientists that we've been able to fund um, have been remarkably successful and we're grateful to to the community here and around the world who are now supporting us. You guys are a fundraising organization. You know, Live Strong was, was you know, probably falls into that category as well uh, from different events or people uh, providing resources in different ways. And so Chris and I were talking today, you know, on the, on the podcast about, you know, advocacy and using digital and social tools to, you know, spread the message, uh, to make those connections, ultimately to get people engaged and involved, uh, whatever that means to those, those those organizations or those individuals. And so, man, I, want, I just wanted to talk a little bit. I, I know, you know, you were at Livestrong for 14 years, you said, and so that that predates a lot of this stuff, right? <laughs> so, Absolutely. I mean, not, not not that Livestrong didn't have a website or even, uh, you know, uh, for those that look you up, we'll see the Omen Cancer Fund and, you know, some other things that you've done. And so, not that websites didn't exist. Email was probably one of the, the major ways that you guys communicated. But when kind of when in that path did social media really start coming around and, and some of these other digital methods that, that really, you know, kind of piqued y'all's interest and, and why, why did you go down that path? 
so great point. I mean, when I, I always tell people, when I started in the nonprofit sort of advocacy world, you know, more than 20 years ago, I mean, I remember sitting around dining room tables stuffing envelopes with newsletters that were just sent out, you know, weekly or monthly. And, and so think about, like, how far we've come just in 20, you know, in 20 years. Um, so it's been pretty remarkable uh, to see that, that change. But I think the one thing that's been consistent is that advocacy, especially health-related advocacy, is totally focused on building community and bringing people together. And the tools that we now have access to in terms of social media or other technologies, you know, frankly, they're just allowing us to do that faster, cheaper, more transparently, and, and more in real time uh, mm-hmm. than we've ever been able to do before. And so the work and the strategy uh, may actually be somewhat the same, but the tools and the way that we're able to achieve our missions have changed dramatically. Ultimately, it's not, and we talk a lot about this on the advertising side of the equation, it's, it's not, you know, these are just the delivery mechanisms, you know, and whether or not this is a good uh, a good one for you to use, you know, really kind of relates back to your strategy and what you're trying to accomplish. And so I, I would assume for you guys, uh, whether it was the Livestrong days or, or uh, Pelotonia where you are now, um, you still look quite a bit as, you know, who are we trying to reach? What does the audience look like? The demographics, those personas, is that, is that fair? And then you kind of decide, you know, where, where do you put your money or where do you put your efforts? Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, frankly, the days of stuffing envelopes were so ineffective. Mm-hmm. Because we could send out a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand newsletters and have no idea if anybody opened or if anybody read them. Right, um, right. Whereas now we can use metrics to understand are people reading the emails, are people engaging on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the medium might be, and ask them how they want to engage and then deliver content and messaging and community building to them in the way that they have chosen. So the granularity that we can now uh, use is is very significant. So what was you know I guess early on it was uh, of course you had you had things like Friendster and MySpace and stuff like that. I, I don't know if you guys used any of that. That would have probably been um, you know early Livestrong days. But um, what were some kind of those first things and first wins that that you guys saw and realized you know what this may be this may be a place that we really need to look at because I, I'll tell you a lot of these uh, corporate entities, especially, uh, you know, we're kind of slow to move on, on a lot of the social fronts and, you know, we're going to let somebody else, you know, forge that path and figure it out before we get involved. But what, what were some of those kind of early on successes you feel like, you know, really kind of allowed y'all to expand in that area? I think for us in terms of the social platforms, uh, Twitter was definitely the first one, um, and I'll never okay. forget. I'll never forget standing at my desk and having a colleague come over to me and say, "You know, you gotta, you gotta try this thing." And I had no idea what it was, no idea what he was talking about. Um, <laughs> thought it was very odd. I had not personally used any social media prior to that, so I didn't have my own MySpace page or whatever at the time. Yeah. Um, so it was totally foreign, and uh, and yet it started to work very quickly in terms of allowing transparent, real-time communications with our community. Um, And uh, I'll never forget a few years later, maybe a year or two later, somebody on our team suggested that we have uh, a full-time position for social media. And I sort of said, you got to be kidding me. Full-time position just to 
check these things all day. And yeah. uh, luckily they convinced me otherwise. Um, and we did go ahead with that position and, and it made, made a world of difference in terms of, again, bringing more people into the mission, educating yeah. them, allowing them to give us ideas and suggestions and just creating relationships uh, with people that you probably never would have ever had the chance to interact with. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So that was an interesting point that you're getting to connect with people that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to. And we see that, I guess, in kind of that e-patient movement as well. And I, and I think I've even heard you talk about this with, with your uh, background uh, dealing with cancer yourself was, you know, you, you had this early on, you had it in college. This was pre-internet, well, maybe not pre-internet days, but but pretty early on, especially around email and some things like that. And the idea that you could connect with other people like you uh, was kind of like slim and none, unless they like happen to go to the same physician or you just knew them or, you know, those types of things. And so um, that, that's an interesting point that um, it's not just on the patient side. It's also, you know, uh, these organizations uh, that can actually connect with people that they could potentially help as well and, and actually play matchmaker in a lot of cases, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, people... The, the, these platforms give us access as individuals to things that we just would have struggled to ever find. It's been remarkable for, for patients, for advocacy organizations. Um, it's been really, really, really significant. So you mentioned um, you know, early on one of those first successes was Twitter and, and getting involved there. H- how has that evolved? I mean, I know you're still a, an avid and, and active Twitter user, but what kind of how have you seen that morph uh, over the last you know handful of years especially? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously that was one of the first platforms that we used significantly, and we still use it today. Um, but I think others have gained in, in uh, prominence. Obviously, Facebook is is really, in my opinion, where people are, mm-hmm. um, and obviously that's different for different age demographics. Um, but in terms of just the the more than a billion people that are in the world using that right. platform. It's a way to, to really communicate and, and have dialogue. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of success there in terms of using Facebook. Um, I also, uh, you know, we've also seen a ton of uh, success with Instagram um, and just being able to use images to build a brand and a movement. Um, and I think that's uh that's been really helpful and something that, you know, frankly, I was sort of late to the party on, most likely. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm late to the party on quite a bit of stuff. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, that's a little bit of how it's moved. And we've talked a lot about the external piece of it and, um, you know, connecting with people around the country and things like that. What, what about internally? I mean, do you guys use these tools uh, as a staff, as a team, you know, to uh, engage employees and get feedback and things like that? I mean, is that, that's a different type of advocacy, but is that something that you guys rely on? Absolutely. Well, I think it, it allows us, I think at, at, at the basic level, it allows us to be more transparent. So I know what team members are doing. They know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. So that's sort of at a, at a basic level. And I think that creates a lot of conversations. Some will say, oh, I didn't realize you were going to see, you know, that person or that organization. Like, here's what, here's how we would like to collaborate with them. Um, you know, and things like that. Um, it also allows, I think in our work, each of our team members has a potentially different constituency. So the, the team member who is in charge of our volunteer management, you know, if she's using social tools, she's 
most likely in touch with and communicating regularly with, you know, our volunteers. Mm-hmm. Whereas I may not have that um, uh, same, um, same you know, uh, uh, constituency. Where does this go from here? You know, do, do you continue to see it evolve in a certain way? Do you see that you, you may start using things differently? Uh, you know, what, from an advocacy standpoint, what, where is social media headed? Well, I think it'll continue to be a really significant tool. I think um, we've seen some tools evolve. So, you know, from a from a policy standpoint, I think Twitter continues to be a leader in terms of mm. uh, the political environment as it relates to causes, um, because I think influencers at that level are all on that platform. Um, that said, I think when you're trying to build community and grassroots movements, I think Facebook and Instagram are going to be more valuable. Um, given uh, just their reach and given the number of, of people who may not be fully engaged in your issue or your cause, you know, uh, daily, but that's where they're, that's where they're communicating with their friends and family and and neighbors. Um, So we need to sort of meet them where they are. Um, And so uh, we're pretty high on, on all of those platforms. I also think just as a, you know, sort of separate but related topic, I think video um, is going to continue to be the future. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, we're all just stretched thin in terms of time, but the five second, 10 second, 20 second videos um, in terms of content development, I think is going to be where things continue to head for for the foreseeable future. You know, last little piece I wanted to talk to you about. So I'm I'm running a nonprofit, I'm running a hospital, I'm running some other health-related organization, and, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, we've dabbled in some of these tools. I don't know that it has a real strategy, et cetera. You know, w- what's your recommendation for, you know, having a meaningful start uh, to using some of these tools uh, for advocacy-related efforts? Where, where, where do you recommend people start? You know, I think I think the first place to start is with just a commitment that you're going to use these tools consistently. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've seen over time is people who love the idea, but maybe don't commit to using them as as often as they should. And I think you got to commit and you got to realize it's going to take time. So you're not going to have a huge community built overnight. Um, So I think that's one thing. And then I think the other thing is, I think you should only use these tools and commit to them if you're willing to be very transparent. Um, because if you're, if you're, if you're trying to use the tools just to communicate your message outwardly and not as a way to engage the community, I think it'll fall flat. It'll be seen as, as not authentic. Um, so I think transparency and authenticity are hugely important when you're making or creating a strategy to use, to use these tools. Man, I think that's, I think that's really great. I think those are some really, really great points. I, I wholeheartedly uh, agree. Uh, man, I really appreciate you spending, I, I know you're, you're a busy guy and I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. If people want to track you down online and connect with you, where's the best place to do that? Yeah. So any number of, uh, the things we've been talking about, um, you know, they can, they can check out Twitter, which is just at Doug Ullman or Instagram at Doug Ullman. Um, and then the organization is, is at Pelotonia, P E L O T O N I A. 
um, and would love to connect with people, hear their ideas, and, and share uh, stories of success and failure. <laughs> I, uh, I certainly appreciate it. We'll have a link to all those uh, different properties in the show notes as well. But, uh, Doug, we appreciate it. Maybe we'll uh, be lucky enough to have you on uh, in the future. Sounds great. Thanks, Reed. All right, here we are wrapping up episode number 31. Great discussion today on a topic that I admittedly am probably not an expert. And so I was, it was great to have Doug. You know, we really appreciate his time and, and some of his insights. I uh, look forward to possibly having him back on in the future to talk more in depth around different sub topics, I guess, of online advocacy. So a lot of fun. Yeah. Time for some recommendations. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Well, Reed, as you know, and everyone who's been listening is kind of knowing, this is the month, September 2017, that I'm getting married at the end of the month. And I'm going to make a recommendation yes. around a particular digital tool that I've used to help with that process, so to speak. Now, I know everybody thinks about, and a lot of people I've talked to that are getting married or have gotten married, they mentioned the knot. Dot com. That's not what I'm going to recommend today. What I'm actually recommending is a really great tool that I've used called withjoy.com. Withjoy.com is a free online website builder that allows you to build a wedding website. It has a really nice app. It has integrations and open APIs into a variety of different other applications. If you're in the space where I'm at right now, where you're getting married, you're going to get married, you're going to do something like that, I would strongly recommend uh, people going out to this free site called withjoy.com. You can create your own website. It has a mobile app that you can have associated with it. It just really is a great wedding website app that is kind of cool. Very, very cool. I am recommending a uh, guitar cable. Ah, so I don't know how many of our listeners actually play the guitar. And on top of that, well, not that you couldn't use this with an acoustic, but anyway, I've got it hooked up to an electric guitar. But uh, I always like new things and gadgets and all that kind of good stuff. And this is something that I saw actually at South by Southwest back in uh, March, I believe it was. Yeah, March. So besides the actual conference, there's obviously music and film and all that kind of stuff. So if you go into the vendor space, there's tons and tons of booths. And so there's all kinds of like music related booths. Well, anyway, this is called uh, Bullet Cable. So bulletcable.com. And the uh, they have a lot of different products, but the, what I got actually was a coil cable. So this looks like a telephone cord, like an old telephone cord. And so it's like, I think Jimi Hendrix used to use like cables that looked like this. Mm. But I have found it where it doesn't really get tangled up and kinked and all that kind of stuff, like a lot of cables do, I guess. The one I got is a 15 foot. You can also get 30. Why in the world you would need a 30 foot cable? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a long cable. Well, you walk around a lot. You know, I mean, you're you're Angus Young walking around playing the guitar a lot or something. I guess. But if you're that good, don't you just have wireless or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, so uh, you can get them in red and black and clear and gold. I went with the ever popular Seafoam color uh, <laughs> because why not? Uh, but anyway, it's a cool cable. It's it's heavy. Uh, it drags around on the ground and uh, doesn't get uh, all tangled up. But yeah, it's a uh, bullet cable, the 15-foot seafoam coil cable. Always a good recommend recommendation, Reed. I, uh, we like your recommendations. Our audience does too. In fact, I was with my uh, future mother-in-law this weekend, and she turned to me and she says, uh, Tractor? 
really? You guys recommended a tractor? So. <laughs> yeah. To which you were like, no, we didn't recommend a tractor. Uh, yeah. But still, our recommendations, yeah. I, uh, that just goes to show you, people like, like to hear what we have to say, so what we recommend. Very cool. Awesome. Very cool. Well, awesome. So a couple of things coming up. Uh, obviously, we want people to make their way over to the Healthcare Internet Conference website at hcic.net mm-hmm. uh, to learn a little bit more about what we will be doing and what others will be doing and speakers that will be attending the conference, which will be here in Austin, October 23rd through the 25th. Mm-hmm. And so that looks to be a great conference. A lot of great folks going to be there. Uh, would love to see you. Would love to um, interact and maybe even have you on the podcast. So let us know if you're going to be in attendance. We will be there. Yep. What else? What else is coming up? Well, actually, this very week, the week of September 5th, this Friday, I'm actually going to be speaking at the Content Marketing World. That's right. It's a special track on Friday that the Cleveland Clinic is actually sponsoring, and I'm going to be hosting a panel with Brian Gresh and others talking about digital and content marketing. So if you're still in Cleveland and you stick it through to Friday, uh, because I know Content Marketing World is happening now, definitely come check me out. We'll be speaking at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's going to be a a really great little session. Trust me, we're going to – you'll hear about it because I will bring a microphone so we can record some of the good conversation that we have. And that might make its way to this podcast at a later date. There you go. Awesome. Well – uh, another great episode, and um, we appreciate everybody's support. If you would find your way over to iTunes, uh, rate and review us, that would be awesome. He is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we will see you next week. 